Thank you for joining the Startup Guide to Growth. My name is Rico Malazzi, and I'm Senior Director of Go-To-Market Ops at Sapphire Ventures. In enterprise technology, one huge growth lever for a company can be pricing. It can help you better monetize your solution, increase sales velocity, reduce churn, and most importantly, accelerate revenue growth. So with that being said, I was excited to have this conversation with Sam Lee, a lifelong enterprise pricing leader who has worked at companies such as Microsoft and ServiceNow. Currently, he leads pricing and monetization at Snowflake. On this episode, we discuss all things enterprise pricing, how to implement a pricing strategy, what value-based pricing really means, and cover one of today's most popular pricing strategies, usage-based pricing models. Sam, super excited to have this conversation with you today. I think one of the things we hear most from our portfolio companies is you know pricing and the strategies and the insights that go within that. So I'm very excited to have this conversation with you to kind of dig a little bit deeper and provide everyone with context on you know how pricing's done at scale and any enterprise technology company for that matter. So with that being said, I'd like to kind of kick off the conversation by first learning a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you get into enterprise pricing? I think your experience across companies provide you with a really unique lens on enterprise pricing strategies. Yeah, thanks for having me. I kind of, you know, like a lot of people, just kind of fell into it. My undergraduate degree was in political science and economics. So kind of based on these two things, after college, I landed a role at Microsoft with their their public sector federal deals desk team. They call it business desk there because it sits in the field. So it's a little bit different with their with, with the scale. And, you know, basically I started out doing uh, licensing contract negotiation, you know, licensing agreements and kind of working with customers in the field and working in the field to explain kind of Microsoft's very complex and complicated a licensing model and licensing agreement. And, and I went on from there. So I have I, I started out a bit with an operator background, you know, with, with a sales background, and then move on to more of the, well, you know, you can think of it as the back office, which is more the, the strategy and, and the program management functions of, of pricing. And so I guess, you know, given that experience, I, I have a more expansive view and a bit of a different lens than someone, say, who came into pricing as a practitioner from kind of more of a, the analytic functions or the analytic view or the more or more from from a consulting background. Because my background is, you know, in in my entire throughout my entire career has been and through as an operator. So kind of starting out in sales and then kind of more moving back into strategy and operations and, and the financial side. That's great. So with that context. Where do you see pricing having the biggest impact on organizations, at least from your experience? You know, I think it can really touch a wide breadth of, of a company's activities and, and, and either benefit them or actually cause some friction. So where do you see it having the biggest impact? Yeah, I mean, profitability comes to mind. Obviously, there was a very old but very influential HBS article about kind of how you know, like a one percent improvement in top line, you know, equates to a, like a twelve percent improvement in profit. That's something that a lot of people often cite. Now, the exact percentage obviously depends on the industry structure and your cost of goods uh, model, right? So, you you know, for for enterprise software company where your margin is very high, you might not get that kind of uh, bang for the buck. But in general, pricing, you know, obviously has has some of the biggest impact, and getting pricing right has some of the biggest impact impact to kind of your profitability driver for any company. It's one of the most effective levers to drive profitability that anyone can tell you. So, you know, most companies tend to kind of realize that over time and invest in pricing as a specialized function. But even for smaller company, you know, if you take a more expansive view of pricing, which which I do, which includes sort of the operations and the business model and the monetization strategy, that then pricing also impacts, you know, your end-to-end go-to-market activities, right? So think of if you're if you think about pricing that includes kind of setting the commercial 
commercial framework, setting the business model, and then and, and then managing that operations over time to make sure you know you the, the pricing model can scale with your customer and your business and the business that you want to go. Then you know impacts marketing, impacts how you signal to market and talk about value to your customers. It also obviously impacts your commercial terms, your contracting, and the, your field compensation, how you compensate and how the field engage the customer pricing and the and especially your business model have is really first in line around that. You, know, you can talk to any sales guy, they'll tell you, you know, price and the price is like the first thing they think about and how they get confidence and the second thing. And obviously, you know, how you set up the pricing model impacts both. Yeah. Can you kind of double click there about what's the difference in your mind between an expansive pricing strategy and maybe the one that's a little bit more focused? Yeah, so I tend to think about take a more expansive view of pricing as a function. Other people who came from kind of more of an analytic pricing analytic background would you know, f- focus on kind of maybe like price optimization. So pricing have a lot of specialization. If you think about, you know, pricing in a more expansive view, then it encompasses both strategy operations and sort of sales support, right? Strategy, you can think of it as supporting the overall company strategy. So, you know, your monetization strategy I and mean, your pricing strategy should align with, you know, your overall company goal, right? Is, it, is pricing there to support top line or is it there to support, you know, a market expansion, right? So, you know, extraction versus expansion, that's something that that's something that that is important, and obviously pricing should be uh, you know, just like any other strategic paradigm that you know anyone uses to analyze a market. You know, pricing is a function that that impacts kind of how how as a company set pricing impacts how how you think about you know how the firm relates to kind of how the, the overall. You know, if you take a more expansive view of pricing, then it comes to strategy operations and kind of sales support. And the strategy itself, you know, needs to support the company strategy. Right. So the company and the company strategy is often dictated by not just your intent, but also, you know, your the constraints, right? Your customers and your, you know, your suppliers and et cetera. Right. And you know, pricing is sort of a part of that that paradigm that you need to kind of that that any company needs to manage. Then kind of moving on to an operational side, then it's really about, you know, how you set up the not just the internal operations of how you take product to market, which is, you know, that bridging that gap between product management and sales operations and sales, right? So there's a whole set of things that, you know, that company do, you need to, that, that goes goes from taking a product to market. And a lot of companies call that MPI, new product man, new product introduction, that whole functions. And sometimes that falls into pricing. Sometimes the sales ops will take, take on that. Sometimes product management take on that in, in the early days. And then finally, sales support, right? You know, a lot of companies from a pricing perspective, a lot of companies eventually always something called a deals desk, you know, to manage, specifically manage kind of contract negotiations and kind of non-standard pricing support. So all of those kind of falls under this this pricing bucket, and you know, in some cases, you know, this obviously overlaps with other functions. You know, sales operations is one that takes on the tail end. Product management takes on a lot of that 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 early on strategy function. Obviously, business operations is another one that you know tends to have a have a hand in kind of a lot of the more analytics aspects of uh, of this. But you know, overall, you can see kind of pricing hits many of these these functions, and you know, and uh, individual companies with basically organize all of these, you know, either under a pricing or, you know, according to their business affinities or available talent. You stood up the pricing organization at ServiceNow and at Snowflake. When do you think it is the right time based on your experience for an enterprise technology company to think about making this a dedicated organization 
There's no hard and fast rule. What I've seen generally is that, at least in the enterprise software space, companies start to think about adding dedicated specialized pricing person, like add that pricing guy. When they hit around like 100, 200 million ARR, or when they start standing up that next product line, because one product line management is relatively easy. But when you start having multiple offers, right, that you have, kind of have to manage that as a portfolio. So you need kind of someone to organize across kind of product management and also organize across, across sales and that complexity to typically drive someone to say, look, I need, we need someone to handle, you know, that bridge between product management and the sales organization, the sales operations, right? Or other times what you've seen in, in an enterprise technology companies, especially ones where the pricing was first owned by the product manager, you know, that, that often very happens, right? Product manager and in, in especially in enterprise tech and technology company in general tends to be viewed as the CEO of their product. So they have kind of end-to-end responsibility. At some point, product management needs to specialize, right? So they become inbound, outbound, and they have they have those those functions. And depends on the affinity and depends on the need, needs to specialize, you'll see kind of like product management becoming less engaged on kind of the, the pricing focus. And you, that's when kind of companies start to think, I need a pricing person to manage this part. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It becomes almost a dedicated need at that point. One thing I wanted to also touch upon is oftentimes we think you make a pricing change, but there's obviously a lot that goes into it. And it's very much a a cross-functional decision. So when you do a pricing change, who are the important stakeholders to have at that table and have their input? And more importantly, when should their input be involved? Uh, As early as possible and as high as possible. I would say, especially for, you know, startups, the executive team, the CEO, CFO, and definitely the head of sales all should be involved in pricing. At Snowflake, like the early, especially the early days, Bob Moo, the former CEO, was was the chief pricing officer. He kind of was the one who really was credited with setting the tone of how pricing should work at Snowflake, the pricing model in terms of, you know, that our capacity consumption, our pay-as-you-use kind of model. A lot of these models are not easy to implement, right? There are a lot of ways, especially early days in the company, there are a lot of ways to think about monetizing your product. So you really need that executive alignment to, to, to make sure that, you know, you have conviction to stick with a pricing model, especially an enterprise software company where they they tend to, you know, companies tend to learn over time how to work a pricing model. And so it's important to have conviction to stick with it and, and really kind of iterate and, and work and work through it to get it right, to make the pricing model stick. So definitely, you know, I would say the CEO should always be, in the, even as a company scale, the CEO should always be interested in pricing. They might have people kind of doing the work and building it, but uh, building out and managing pricing over time. But, you know, it's important for kind of the executive team to be very aligned on the pricing strategy moving you know, as a company scale. And certainly the CFO have a very big role in understanding the cost and structure and the economic structure and the unit economics of the of the pricing model. And increasingly as the company scales, then it's not just, you know, the, the executive staff, but, you know, all, everyone kind of the next layer down, the key execs in marketing and finance and in sales, sales operations, um, a good um, switch at the, at the scale of Snowflake, for instance, you know, my go-to team as we think about kind of pricing or running an MPI process would be, you know, someone in finance billing and collections, you know, to make sure that, you know, revenue recognition, everything works. Product management in terms of making sure, you know, setting the strategy and formulating the strategy and understanding and really fitting or, or creating a new business model. And, and the, so the business owner aspects of the of the team and sales operations, you know, some, making sure that, you know, sales operations and, and sales strategy and comp and, you know, the back office of sales, you know, are really aligned on how to really, you know, launch this thing and, and there's someone to catch the ball, so to speak, you know, at, at the other end of the funnel. And, you know, and so, you know, those are people, those are the, the, the organization and the teams that I engage very early to kind of bring them in. And they will tell you sort of what 
constraints they have, right? To as we we're launching or changing prices or launching new business model, which is obviously even more complex. Feedback from the field is also very important as part of changing price. You always want to make sure that field is comfortable with the price change. And then finally, you know, especially and this is this goes this is doubly true when it comes to kind of creating new business model or or anything that that has kind of more operational kind of systems impact um, is your IT organization. Nothing gets done without IT. And if you're if this business model or or, or this this thing you want to launch that has kind of very large systems impact, it's important to make sure you know the or your backend systems are aligned. How often are you engaging with the product team on new feature development and the impacts that may have on pricing? Because I imagine you know that's a pretty symbiotic relationship, and what they do from a product side could definitely influence you know pricing, whether what features goes in what tiers, if you're tiered based pricing or whatnot. It's a symbiotic relationship. You're correct, and generally, and it's it's always a work in progress in every company. Generally speaking, I ask the teams to engage me as soon as possible. And you know, some companies are not as good. You know, the the often complaint from many pricing folks is that you know, product would build this thing and then they'll throw it over the fence to a pricing person, say, "Hey, price this thing and figure out how to price this thing." I say best practice is when a pricing team, or if you have a pricing team, the pricing team or the pricing lead should be part of the concept review of the product. So before you even build the product, you should think about how you're going to monetize it or where that product or feature is going to fit into, you know, your existing or existing fit or not fit into your existing pricing structure or monetization structure. That gives the team a lot of room, especially the cross-functional team, a lot of room to kind of either work through that problem or figure out how to price it. Or in the case where you really need a new business model to support this new thing you're building to really work with all the teams to build that, that infrastructure to support that. So it's super important to kind of engage early. That kind of, I guess, I think, I guess best practice against the engage before is to really engage before before you even built the product as part of the uh, the strategy formulation or the product formulation. Yeah, that makes sense. There are really four popular... So I want to talk about pricing on two axes. One is mm-hmm. the methodology, and then two is the actual pricing execution strategy. So on the methodology side, there's really four popular models. There's cost plus pricing, there's competitive-based pricing, which I think maybe a lot of startups default to because... You know, let's look at what our competitors are doing and price similarly. Demand-based pricing and value-based pricing. I think the one that's risen to the top in the enterprise technology conversation, and, and even more broadly across any type of company, is, is value-based pricing. Can you explain a little bit about what value-based pr- pricing is and why it's become so popular? Yeah, that, it's kind of funny. Value-based pricing is the latest catchphrase in the world of pricing. They're all really the four pricing kind of model are not really models. There are really four different lenses of looking at the same problem. Ultimately, the goal of pricing is to extract sort of the maximum economic value out of the goods and services you, you provide, right? So if you take the the marketing lens, you know, the, you know, in marketing, they teach you the, you know, the three C's and the four P's. And the four P's of marketing, if you think about it, pricing is unique. The, the price of the P is the only P that is about value extraction instead of value provide, you know, communicating value or, or providing value to the customer. It's really the, the flip side of kind of what you communicate to customers. Say, I'm providing you this value, this much value, let me extract this, I'm extracting this much, right? So so it's just different lens of looking at the same problem of value extraction. Value-based pricing is popular from a, you know, it's, it's the latest kind of popular thing because it's um, inherently the most customer-centric. It's really something, if you think about value-based pricing, it's always saying is that you should price based on 
you know, based on what the perceived value of your goods and services provide to the customer. So, so you shouldn't consider your cost. You shouldn't consider, you know, your competitor. You should consider, you know, really what the economic value add that you are providing customers and then extract a portion of that. So really taking the other lens off. Not to say, you know, you can't take the other lens, you know, to go with it. You know, cost plus obviously is very popular with a lot of industry has fallen out of favor lately. But, you know, cost plus, you know, ensures your company can hit certain profitability target. It's very inward looking, you know, at least if you think of it in a traditional sense, because it focuses on internal operations and focus on your costs. Right, cost plus the cost side and financial metrics, but you know it's not necessarily true, right? If you think about the plus side of cost plus, the plus side can be you know value based, right? So you can think about cost plus as you know understanding your costs, and then the va- the part of the cost plus could be a could be driven by or could be determined through through value based methodology and understand kind of what that premium, what that price premium you can price based on kind of the value that you provide to customers. The competitor and demand based pricing obviously is popular based on at least the competitor based pricing is popular. In, in tech, because you know, especially in industries where there are lots and lots of competitors out there offering kind of similar things, you're just trying to kind of get a hold of the market and try to drive get, get gain market share. So it's under, important to understand kind of how your competitors price. It's not necessarily you know useless. You know, again, one using one methodology doesn't necessarily means you can't use another. But you know, I'll, I'll say those are those are all tools that you use to um, to kind of analyze the market and analyze and, and really try to triangulate your your kind the price that you want to, the price and the pricing strategy you set. Yeah, I think when you do cost plus pricing and then you look at it through a value-based pricing lens, I think what you typically find out is that you've underpriced your solution. Is that correct? Yeah, cost plus price, not necessarily, but really cost plus pricing just is, again, if you don't kind of think about the value that you provide to customers, so not, the pitfall of cost plus pricing is you look purely at your internal metrics, right? You say, this is how much it costs me to build. This is how much it costs me from unit economics to provide the this goods and services to, to my customer. And then this is my profitability target. So I just tack on this much and then here's the price, right? That people kind of throw it out and say, this is the price. The problem with that is that you can either under, you know, you can under underprice your 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 products and services or you can overprice your products and services in which case you know you know that very fairly quickly. And you probably um, want to reevaluate the business in general because margins are coming down. Exactly. I mean, the good, uh, the thing about it is that, you know, you should use really both, right? Because at the end of the day, if you use a value-based pricing methodology to figure out kind of where you should price in the market and use a cost plus based pricing and, and, and to kind of, you know, kind of understand your cost model and your profitability mar- uh, target. And if the cost plus pricing number is higher than your kind of value-based pricing number, then you really don't have product market fit. That's the, that's, that's, that's the, the, really the, 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 right. That's the insight. <laughs> that's the insight. Exactly. Well, the same thing, right. With competitor, if your competitor based pricing is higher than kind of your, if you use a competitor based pricing model and like that, that, or, or lens to look at kind of where, where your competitors are pricing and valuing this thing. And then, you know, if that number again, is lower than kind of your internal kind of cost plus space pricing, then again, you don't have product market fit. Right. So it's important to kind of understand this and maybe it's not just, you know, again, pricing is a moving target. You know, profitability is also a moving target. So understanding that long-term economic unit economics, you know, can it come down over time to kind of hit those targets you need is very important. That's obviously something that, you know, pricing team collaborates with the FPNA, or if there's an FPNA team or the finance team to kind of work through these, these, these different models. 
Yeah. I think one of the challenges, especially in enterprise tech is, is maybe you'll have a competitor racing to the bottom from mm-hmm. a pricing strategy perspective. And, you know, specifically if you're competing against Amazon around enterprise technology, I think their AWS services, they've like, it was some like 46 times they slashed the price or some crazy number. And in that scenario, you know, if you had to put yourself in the role of a pricing leader at that point, what would you do? I'm just curious. Yeah. And again, that's where value-based pricing really helps kind of reinforce the land because it forces you to find that value differentiator, right? Like if you compete price for price and don't look at features and don't look at, you know, the the total kind of ROI that you're providing your customer, then it's very easy to kind of fall into the lens of let me just price to my competitor or price to this, right? So it's a forcing function to force, you know, you to force a company to look at, you know, exactly what am I offering as a value premium and what's the willingness to pay for my customers for that value premium. So in a sense, it's a function that then, you know, understanding that, you know, using that, that value methodology, understanding that, then, then you can kind of align your whole company, not just pricing, but not, just, but it gives you the confidence, I would say, to hold the price firm, but then also, you know, align the rest of your company to, towards that, those value premium that you're doing. So you will align your sales organization to really talk about those, you know, those price, those differentiators. You would align your marketing functions to really kind of market those differentiators to help to stand firm on the price. Yeah, so it almost helps clarify the value proposition and the credibility exactly. for you to come into the market with the higher price if you can think from that value-based pricing lens and then mm-hmm. obviously communicate that throughout the organization, which is key. So we looked at it from the, I'll, I'll call it the methodology standpoint, and now actually the pricing execution standpoint, there's a few different you know, I think we're all familiar with tiered-based pricing. We've seen this a, a lot, good, better, best, the per-user-based pricing or seat-based pricing, a new enterprise pricing strategy that's really evolved and, and I'll say has come to the forefront. And one of the reasons is Snowflake is usage-based pricing. I think Frank actually in the IPO Roadshow talked about how this is a new paradigm of pricing enterprise technology. And we actually wrote a piece on this which we'll put the link into the show notes that actually took some of the 24 high growth SaaS companies and compared them from a, a growth and NDR perspective, net dollar retention compared to usage-based pricing public companies. And there was you know, a lot of difference, our alpha per se, in their growth rates and NDR compared to their high growth peers. Obviously, it's one deterministic factor of these companies' successes, but it does seem to be a common thread. Can you explain a little bit about usage-based pricing? And then I would love to talk about how this actually changes the paradigm of how you operate as a company. Yeah. Well, usage-based pricing is not new, right? Everyone has paid their electric bills and everyone paid, you know, paid their cell phone bills, at least back in the days when cell phones didn't have unlimited minutes. You know, every, you know, if you're old enough, you remember, you know, you pay per text and pay per, <laughs> per minutes on, on your cell phone bill. So, you know, the idea of usage-based on pay-as-you-go isn't new. What's new is, you know, what really, what we've seen in the last, really in the last year, year and a half is sort of much broader acceptance of usage-based pricing in the enterprise software or mm-hmm. really enterprise in enterprise. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, even like go back five years, what you would hear from most enterprise procurement shop is that predictability is king. I want predictability over kind of pay as you go. Like I would pay a premium for predictability. And a lot of places still do that. You know, still still have a preference for predictability. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. I believe you know, when we talk about kind of how these things can coexist. But but usage-based pricing is, you know, that the, the the biggest difference in between kind of even five years ago now is really the acceptance and and you know the the prevalence of that acceptance of usage-based 
pricing is driven by both the tooling that's out there, you know, in terms of you know the ability for that these companies have, you know, like Snowflake and other companies have learned to provide our customers to provide some of that predictability, the usage predictability, and also by really these very large enterprise companies, software company, cloud providers, really, you know, evangelizing this model and really getting to the point where, you know, company, frankly, customers are used to this, some of this predictability and predictability, some sense, some of these pay-as-you-go type model, right? There's a lot of advantages to really justify you. You're really only paying for what you use at the same time, because, you know, AWS and Azure and GCP have been, you know, running this model for many years now. You know, a lot of enterprise companies are used to it. You know, this is how, you know, they pay their, their AWS bill. And then, and, you know, and they found out that, hey, like, you know, my AWS bill is actually pretty predictable once at, at scale. So, you know, folks kind of learn to kind of get over that fear of unpredictability. Yeah, I think the the predictability can be a a misnomer in some cases, because actually you can structure deals and and correct me if I'm wrong, but with pay as you go, you can still negotiate upfront commitments, which provide some of that revenue certainty for your company. Yeah. So, you know, in, in, in that case, in a lot of cases, you know, an upfront commitment is how in in exchange for a discount or the exchange of volume-based pricing is, is kind of the, the volume licensing of the the SaaS world, right? You know, there's uh, that, you know, you don't, you don't have a licensing agreement anymore. You have what what they call an EDP, an enterprise purchasing agreement or enterprise purchasing program, mobile enterprise buying program. And so in those cases, you are making an upfront commitment to a, to, to a cloud providers and, or to a, a cloud company like Snowflake. And based on that upfront commitment, you commit to spend certain amounts, so you can set a budget based on that amount. And the exchange is that, you know, the cloud provider or SaaS company gets a commitment and a certainty around, you know, the amount of future revenue that you can collect. And in exchange, then you provide a discount on a unit, on a unit basis to, to, for that consumption. Right. In our electric utility example, it would be like, I, you know, I would look back at my bills and say, I consume this many kilowatt hours and I would approach the utility company and say, I'll pay all this. Yeah. In so, and, and both of these can live side by side, right? You can say, hey, like what's typically very popular and, you know, every company does this is sort of a base plus overage model. So you make a commitment, your commitment is at a discounted rate. And then, you know, and then anything above and beyond that is a burst rate or a, an overage rate, right? And utility company does that too, right? I get my, in the summer, I get my overage utility bill is very high because, you know, I exceed my usage tier. And then, you know, I'm, I'm charged at a higher rate beyond that because I run the, I ran the AC too much. So, uh, so that, that obviously happens. Now I'm getting flashbacks to the old cell phone bills before we had unlimited <laughs> plants. And that, there you know, we go. <laughs> the overage would be crazy high. What are the type of benefits you see in an enterprise technology company that does adopt usage-based pricing? Are they, you know, do renewals become a little bit of a more easier conversation for lack of a better word. Yeah. What are the benefits you see in in an organization that adopts usage-based pricing? Two things come to mind. One is that, you know, it, it really makes the landing expand strategy works really well because oftentimes, again, that, that first deal you sign the customers becomes, you know, the proof of concept, right? So you don't have to do an expensive proof of concept with no commitment before you really sign that big, big contract. Really, your first contract is that proof of concept. It's that commitment. So you, you're able to kind of take that customer, you know, or, or really, really acquire that customer early and with a, with a very much smaller footprint and let them kind of really land that customer first and then over time expand. So it gives you a little kind of a, a wider expansion strategy. Not to say, you know, usage outside of usage-based pricing, you can't do that. You know, custom, you know, you see that, you know, even with user kind of role-based or user-based pricing, you know, you can acquire a small subset of users and then you expand that over time. But usage-based pricing 
you know, really tie that to the unit economics of, of the usage, right? So it doesn't matter how many user you use, you can give it out to any, any you know, you, it gives you that flexibility of, you know, anyone in the company can use it. And, you know, you don't have to restrict it to a certain number of users. And, but at the same time, you're still charging a very small amount in the beginning, you know, to really get things rolling. So it really helps with that expansion strategy if you're able to do that, too, that you don't have that kind of user-based or organization-based silo. At the same time, usage-based pricing also gives more flexibility to, to to that expansion, right? Because one one of the things that you see, you know, especially at, at companies like Snowflake, is that expansion is really not just driven by kind of you know, organization silo, but really driven by workload. Like if I can add more workload, like then then upsell becomes a workload conversation. You can go around the, you know, within once you land the customer, you can go around the different you know, organization to kind of bring those workload into Snowflake, right? So that becomes kind of you can kind of projectize, you know, those upsell activities. That makes a lot of sense. What has been the biggest challenges from a usage-based pricing model? Has Is, you know, the technology stack not really there to kind of accept usage-based pricing models since it is relatively a new concept in enterprise technology? And has there been uh, created other friction points? I, I guess one of the things that comes to mind is when a product wants to do a new feature, if your usage-based pricing do you then do like tiered to get to that feature or does that feature typically just roll into the existing solution and just hope it increases the consumption of the solution itself? You know, how, how do you make those decisions with the usage-based pricing model? I'd say that's not new. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't matter if you use, you know, the, you mm-hmm. know, should I put that feature in kind of, should I gate that feature to higher additional, yeah. more premium based product versus making it available for everyone to drive kind of more consumption or more usage? That's the that's trade-off a, you always have to the make. The trade-off you always have yeah. to make doesn't matter if doesn't matter if you're in usage-based pricing or, or others. So obviously that, that happens, you know, in the usage-based pricing model that I think the big one is the big one for usage-based pricing is you're, if you're committed to a, to a pricing metrics in usage-based pricing and your product management came up with, you know, a feature or functionality that that's whose value is unique and doesn't align to that, those unit, the, the pricing metric that you've chosen to meter, then you have to kind of make that hard choice to say, do I leave that alone or do I create a new meter to meter for this one new thing? The problem, of course, is if once you go down a path of creating one meter, then you can create another, another. And next thing you know, you have a very long and very complicated rateable, like a consumption table that you have to kind of manage. And there are complexity to usage-based pricing. I mean, just look at the AWS pricing model. If you take all the products and list out all the different pricing model in there, I mean, that's just, that's really, really complicated. So that's the complexity of managing kind of a consumption table type usage-based pricing model. And that problem is, again, you know, not unique to usage-based pricing. It's, again, every, you know, every kind of pricing model and every company as they scale, you have to fight that tendency to kind of complex to, to make things complicated over time. And, you know, that's, just sort of physics of pricing, I would say. Sure. I would say in terms of things that are uniquely difficult with usage-based pricing is billing and metering. There are the first one that came to mind because there are not a lot of software vendors out there that you know really do usage-based pricing well, especially not, especially given the, the diversity in terms of what can be metered, you really can't rely on out-of-the-box solutions from kind of outside vendors, right? So there are companies out there that have like, you know, billing software and metering, you know, software that helps billing and invoicing and CPQ for meter for, for use space pricing. But the, by and large, you, you know, most companies at certain scale, they, 
they build their own. And because billing and kind of like metering is so integral to kind of the part of product experience, obviously, you know, as you, as you think about, you know, giving customer that, that right experience, which includes kind of forecasting, you know, the ability to kind of help forecast a workload to give them budget predictability to throttling, like in some certain cases, customers, you know, maybe not mission critical application, but certain times customer may want to say, I only want to spend this much and give me the tools to kind of limit, to manage my usage, right? And certain, and, you know, I want a notifications that I'm about to hit my limit at 90% set my to be able to set the limit and then notifications set to to start throttling things at 90%, etc. I think those things you kind of have to build into the product itself. So I would say that's kind of something very somewhat unique to kind of usage-based pricing that you have kind of have to build in. And so it's adds more load to kind of like your product itself. Yeah, I think alerting and monitoring are really critical mm-hmm. if you're going to pay on something that's so can be so elastic based on yeah. on consumption habits. Yeah. And reporting as well, right? So customers would get a bill and get a chart. So you really have to be able to provide customers with, you know, really good usage insight. Like how where am I my, my money is actually getting spent, especially if they're on a commitment-based model or they and they pay you up front. They want to know, you know, how am I, you know, what's my run rate? What's my, you know, where am I spending you where am I spending? Where am I really kind of where are some of the anomaly that I should really be aware of? I also want to talk about the impacts on sales because I think there's a few of them. One is, you know, as you mentioned, typically the lands are smaller and there's enormous expand opportunities because you can test it out and get the full solution at a nominal cost and almost run like a paid POC rather than doing, you know, POCs the conventional way. So I think one is is quota. And then two, maybe you can give us some examples today, but who's responsible for burn down? You know, typically enterprise sales, you have your sales team, you have an account management team handling expansions, and then a CS team handling renewals and and just making sure that value is being seen by the customer. But how do you see it in usage-based pricing? I've seen all kinds. Larger companies, especially ones that came, older companies like Microsoft and Microsoft came to mind because I'm most familiar familiar with. It's really about retrofitting your existing yeah. sales organization to to use usage based pricing, right? So in that case, you you're not going to tear up your AEs or, and, and Microsoft language speaks your ATUs and yes, your Stu and your ATUs to fit this model. You kind yeah. of try to retrofit that that into their the existing sales structure. There's org um, Exactly. In smaller companies, I think I think usage-based pricing, as you mentioned, you know, the land typically it's smaller. So understanding so so in terms of managing sort of your territory and, and sort of account, you need to be give your team kind of a little more stability, which is tough if you're in a high growth company and you're kind of constantly kind of recharting or re reorganizing this your sales territory, right? So the other thing is also, you know, when you think about burn down, you who's responsible for burn down? Again, you know, in a smaller scale company, you know, you would we at least at Snowflake we tend to think about that as part of the account team's responsibility, right? Because ultimately, you know, our philosophy here is that, you know, you tie your AEs and your SE, really the account team to the success of the company. And the success of the company and how, you know, how the company's measure is driven by consumption, not on top line, not on bookings, then you should comp your account team. Your account team's incentive should be aligned to that too. And their activities should be aligned to that that metric, which is really about revenue, which in turn is tied to burn down and consumption. So at least here at Snowflake, we don't, again, we don't have a, a separate customer success team, at least for now. So the and because you know the so a lot of the account teams are splitting their time between kind of acquiring new customers. Obviously that's important. Um, but really a lot of the revenue and, and it's really about ensuring that they're burning down at the right rate. And then of course it's obviously discovering and finding new workload, you know, to bring on to Snowflake as an upsell, as a subsell motion. Right. It requires a unique sales talent because not only do you 
you have to have the ability to go hunt for deals, but then also farm and cultivate those existing deals to make sure you can get. Yeah, it's like really more about expanding the farm, right? So it's not just farming, but it's really about expanding the farm and managing the farm. So, you know, over time as a company goes bigger, you know, when you get to like the size of AWS and Microsoft, obviously they have specialized team to kind of figure figure that out. And then, but that's, you know. Maybe that's in the future for Snowflake as well. When you get more strategic accounts that require that that kind of dedicated support. And, And the other thing is vertical overlays becomes kind of important because those workloads that you're trying to upsell customers to are very kind of industry centric, right? So you think about, you know, if you want to have that conversation with a customer about bringing on new workload or really discovering new workload, you really need AEs and and folks that understand that industry and understand that business, right? So, you know, a generalist account team typically, you know, talk about the benefit of, you know, the product and the services that your, your company provides, but to really drive good upsell, you know, having a industry-specific kind of lens to look at those problems is very important. That's really interesting. Yeah, that maybe you can, from a general standpoint, maybe get the initial land, but to get the expand, you have to kind of understand the, the business use cases. Yeah. And, you and if you're more. even driving the, the premium offering, like if you're really trying to drive upsell, not just from a getting additional workload, but really just say drive people to use kind of more of the premium features, then you really have to, you know, take those premium features and really you know, speak about those value proposition in the context context. of that industry. Exactly. So I don't think it's any different than kind of larger, kind of more successful enterprise software companies and enterprise sales organization. But I think with a usage-based pricing, it it certainly forces you to kind of start thinking about that that way to organize sales kind of a little bit earlier. Sam, we previously talked, I I talked about the excitement around usage-based pricing. And, you know, I think also the rise of DevOps and infrastructure has lent itself well to usage-based pricing. So on that note, one of the things you said to me was not every company's built or to sell their software in a usage-based pricing model. You know, what companies do you think should explore this? And what are the key characteristics to have to be a good usage-based pricing company? I think it would be interesting to understand your perspective. Yeah, I would say it's a moving target. You know, the acceptance of kind of usage usage based meter really changes, you know, yearly, weekly, monthly, kind of based on where the market is. In general, my kind of there, there's kind of two rules I kind of think about. One is that your the meter you choose to kind of it's based on should be a predictable, measurable and measurable. And also it should be, it should align the value, right? So the, you know, if, if the meter that you have or, or you're thinking about, or it doesn't align to the, to kind of the, the unit, the unit of work or the unit of uh, that you want to measure as, as your meter doesn't align to kind of the unit of, of value that your customer extracts, then it's really hard to get that to do a usage rate based pricing model, right? Right. Because customer will, will just look at this as completely orthogonal. I'm you know, as I scale my usage, I'm not scaling the value that I'm getting from you. So, you know, again, this is me a bit more of a customer perception that they need to kind of be able to, you know, mentally tie, you know, that unit of work to unit of uh, value that, that they're getting. And of course, you know, the ability to, that unit should be predictable. At least you have to be able to make that predictable and, and transparent to the customer. So, you know, the ability to explain it and explain why this is the right thing to customers is important. So it's really about customer acceptance. The second part is really, I love, especially more for startups where you don't, you don't really have have the cloud or the market power to dictate kind of pricing terms, right? So in those cases, really hard. You typically don't want to go against 
kind of where the market is. And this is where that competitor-based pricing is important. So really look at the competitor, uh, especially the market leader in that space, who really have set the tone for the pricing model. So not to say that's something you want to, you know, that, that you can never kind of change the pricing model in the market, right? But but in general, you know, you want to be aware of the dominant pricing model for your product or for your product line or services in the market. Because if you charge, if, you know, you have a dominant kind of player in the market that set the tone of this is how this thing should be charged and you come up with something completely different, it could be either work really well or and be very disruptive, right? Or it may it may come out and kind of, yeah. that would be dead on arrival, kind of, so to speak. Yeah, we have seen it challenged. I mean, Elastic went usage base against Splunk, which was totally different pricing model. And, and obviously with the rise of product-led growth, this whole element of freemium, which a lot of companies that they competed against didn't have that type of model. So I think it definitely is an experimentation phase. And if there was any place to do it, it would be probably early on uh, yeah. in your company. And experimentation path. tends to work well at the margin, right? Where, you know, for example, like, you know, usage-based pricing, but, you know, you may experiment with freemium to try to do, to try to drive customer acquisition. The problem with freemium, of course, is then, you know, conversion, right? Conversion to pay is, is always a challenge. And, you know, that's a bit of a signaling exercise to you. How much do you want to signal the product is free and, you know, by versus, you know, and, and versus kind of paid, right? Where do you kind of yeah. draw? that line. So I'm, you know, in the, in the case of enterprise software, I, I depends on where you are. Like it's personally, I'm not a fan of freemium. The conversion thing, customer conversion is always say it's a dark art that I haven't mastered, <laughs> but you know, it works well for other companies. Yeah. I mean, really well for some companies. I want to talk about a little bit about team building and leadership. You've joined two organizations now, ServiceNow and Snowflake that, you know, both on their rocket ship trajectory. And we're asked to kind of staff and create a function within an organization that was already, you know, going at a very fast rate. So how do you do that? Like, what's the keys to kind of build an organization within one of these high growth startup companies? I mean, a lot of them weren't also startups, but, you know, now large enterprise technology companies. Yeah, these are two very different experiences for me. At ServiceNow, you know, obviously it was a bit late to the game. They were a little bit, I would say they were a little bit late to the game. By the time they they were looking for someone to kind of start a, or build a pricing organization or pricing functions, they were already well over a billion dollars in ARR, right? So, uh, yeah. I so, can't believe so they managed it that long without a, a team. Yeah, and it really was driven by, for, in that case, it was driven by product management. You know, the, the product management has all, you know, because of such high growth, they went from one BU to like seven BU in a span of like 18 months, right, before the proliferation. Of, and what they found was that, you know, it's easy to, when you just run, you know, when you're selling ITSM, but all of a sudden create, you know, you know, when you're trying to coordinate, you know, business model and, and go to market sales motion, really pricing operations across seven BUs and trying to get that into, into that, that pricing operations funnel, it's very difficult. So and also difficult to coordinate, coordinate strategies, but they, they saw a very large proliferation of business model and pricing model. And, and customers starts to complain that, look, like some of these don't make sense. Why is this one price? Why is CSM price so much different than ITSM when they're kind of like the same things? So you see a lot of, of issues there. So they, they really want someone to go in and help coordinate the kind of the, uh, the, the pricing strategy around kind of the different business units. So that was the need that was that driven them to kind of finally realize they need someone to kind of, they need a more centralized pricing organization. And so my job there was really, you know, fix, try to at least, you know, hurt the cats a little bit. And then at the same time, really work on convincing kind of the rest of the company that, you know, the, there's a need to centralize pricing as a function. So, and then, and then build that out. Right. So again, the need at ServiceNow, they had a very robust and 
very strong pricing operations team, you know, in terms of getting SKUs to market and getting all the contract order forms updated when there's new, when a product, new kind of new product kind of roll out from PMs. So the need was to, to convince, first convince kind of like really align the company on the need to centralize and the benefit of central, of, of building a centralized pricing team. And then as part of building a centralized pricing, really defining, look, there are a couple of pillars that were missing. So again, looking at the company, what's missing? Well, pricing operations is pretty robust. So we don't, we don't need to touch that. But what's missing is, look, there's a, there's a pricing strategy function in the PM. So the PM no longer, you can't let the, each kind of PM run in silos anymore. You know, the, there really needs to be a more coherent kind of monetization strategy across all, the entire product portfolio. So we need a pricing team to kind of help coordinate that and help the PMs because again, the PMs are, are becoming very specialized. So you really need a partner to really partner with the the leadership of those those business units, the GMs of those product management organizations to be their business partner to help manage and craft that pricing strategy and coordinate that the, the pricing model and pricing strategy across all the BUs. And then the middle part, which is which was missing, which was once we have a set of kind of pricing licensing model from the from the business unit, from the from the PM, you know, how do we actually slot that into kind of like volume discounts and pricing, you know, really manage that volume discount, volume purchasing, volume licensing programs, which was missing at ServiceNow, but really as the company scales and grows, really, and you become a multi-product, multi-product portfolio company, you really need to think about kind of the buying program as a whole, right? So there's there's that missing piece in the middle there that, that needs to be built out. So the function was really focused on building out those two pieces. And, and so then I kind of took on the convincing the executive team, the e-staff to invest and build out a price, a, an overall centralized pricing team, and then took on the role to build out the, the pricing team within the business units to build out the this BU functions. At Snowflake, it was a little bit different where, you know, really come, came in and, and they, they, they already decided and there was a need to, for someone to run pricing. So they did it much earlier, obviously, which is great. But because of that, really, the, the need was to harden the pricing operations and pricing processes. So, you know, again, the company's product portfolio is relatively simple. So there isn't a lot of, and, you know, really about, you don't really need to do a lot of work coordinating with the product management team yet, starting to change. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of kind of what I've done in the past year here was really helping get the company's operation, you know, really mature the company's operations to make sure it's ready for IPO from a pricing operations perspective. So that means kind of really hardening the, the decision-making process around pricing, really kind of tighten up the pricing committee process on, on, on and then documenting those approvals and really hardening that MPI process, that rollout of kind of pricing models into the field and the kind of that, that middle process of, of connecting sales operations to product management. So slightly different roles were in terms of building out that that function. So it's a little bit, you know, every company is going to be a little bit different, again, based on kind of how the company grew up, the affinity of the company. You know, some companies are very sales-centric, in which case pricing typically sits in sales. Other companies are very product-centric and, and, you know, pricing typically sits in product, right? But at some point, you know, neither of those kind of poles tend to tend to work it, work very well. And you kind of need someone in the middle, kind of to, an organization in the middle to kind of bridge these these two kind of areas. You need your equivalent of Switzerland, the neutral site, too. Pretty much. Actually, that's a very good analogy. And that's kind of one of the pitfalls of pricing that one of my previous managers actually would say. You know, wherever you kind of build a pricing team, one of the biggest risks is uh, co-oping, right? Yeah. You know, that you know, build a pricing team in sales, they might, you want to make sure that they don't get unduly influenced by sales. You know, they don't take on kind of that, that sales lens of the world too much because you do have to worry about kind of the finance piece, you know, the profitability finance and also, you know, product management for strategy, uh, product strategy and a product value perspective. But you also, you, so you have to be very careful wherever you put it, there's going to be some co-oping involved, right? You know, so it's, that's why it's really important for pricing to have kind of very strong executive support and to be able to stand up that independence because without that, it's very hard for to be Switzerland. 
It really does have a holistic impact. My last question I want to ask this one, I like to ask for fun. What is the most used app on your iPhone or, <laughs> or your Android phone? We're OS agnostic here at Sapphire. Oh, geez. I think by time, it's probably my Kindle app. I nice. read a lot of books and for a Kindle Unlimited subscription that I've abused the crap out of. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon probably didn't like me too much because I think last year I read like 160 some odd books. So Wow. What was the best book you read last year? They're all junk. They're all like fictions. Yeah, fictions. <laughs> a, lot cool. of, a lot of sci-fi fictions and, and fantasy. So, uh, a- Anyone you so. want to call out? Not really. <laughs> I'll keep those private for now. But okay. you know, privately, I'll slack. If you're into those genres, I'll slack you a couple. Of <laughs> I'm sure there's a Slack group for it. But Sam, I want to really thank you for your time. I think monetization is a key strategy for any enterprise technology company, any company at all for that matter. And to kind of understand the nuances it is critically important. So this was really insightful. And if people want to find you, I'm sure they can connect with you on LinkedIn and would love to keep the conversation going on this topic. Absolutely. And thank you for setting this up. I enjoy, I really enjoyed the conversation. Excellent. All right. Thanks so much.